Thank you for watching this online message from Riverstone Church. We hope that this content encourages you and helps you further develop your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit riverstonechurch.net. There you can learn more about us, view additional messages, submit your prayer needs, and even give online. Thank you for watching, and may the Lord richly bless you. I want to ask you to stand with me. Uh, we're going to look at the Word of the Lord. It's actually already been read, and again, uh, please understand that uh, this is not, uh, these things that happen as part of our service are not uh, actually coordinated beforehand, but it's a testimony of God's grace. So we've already read, Sister Marianne uh, read Ephesians chapter 2, uh, our text for this morning. I'm going to read it again, but she did, did not uh, know that that would be what I would preach from this morning. And so we believe it's God's plan for us to be specifically in this scripture today because of so many of the themes that have come over and over again to us. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we all too formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh, and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So what the Apostle Paul is laying down here is this notion that there is a, what we've talked about over the last several weeks, there is a spiritual domain that is in active existence in which all of us were at one time participators. And that spiritual domain of darkness, the prince and power of the air, it exist in such a way that people live in the lust of their flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and are by the very nature of themselves children of wrath. Verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come He might show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Jesus, thank you once again for the opportunity we have to be together, Lord, and to celebrate, Lord, I believe, as the early church celebrated the power and the fire and the might of God moving among them, celebrating, Lord Jesus, the word of God that goes forth, celebrating the fellowship together that we have, Lord Jesus, the sharing together that we have. We rejoice in those things today, God, and we pray by the power of your Spirit that you would move among us today, God, that we would have ears to hear what the Spirit would say. We would hear and we would be faithful doers as well of your word. And we thank you for these things. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Share a hand of fellowship before you're seated this morning in the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, last week, you'll remember that I just uh, reminded 
you to bring uh, your Bible and a pad and pencil. We want you to, uh, as the Lord gives you insight, as we look through the Word, you want to be able to write that down so that you can uh, remember, so that we can be faithful hearers and doers of uh, the Word. Again, uh, one, one of the uh, one rule of uh, writing and speaking is that once you say something uh, in a sermon or uh, maybe in an article or something that you may write, uh, you don't want to necessarily keep repeating. You expect your hearers to be able to um, able to uh, retain what you've already said. So I want to say up front that I'm going to be repeating and emphasizing some things today that I think are important a few times uh, throughout uh, the message. And in this particular passage that we're looking at in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, Paul is helping us to clearly see what we have emphasized over the last several weeks and what I've already alluded to this morning, is that there, are, there is a spiritual world, a spiritual uh, a, a, a spiritual existence that we do not see with the natural eye, but nonetheless is just as real as what we can touch or feel. And the Bible talks often about those whose ears don't hear and eyes don't see. And one of the things that should happen when we come into Christ, when we come into relationship with Jesus, is that our eyes are opened and continually opened, and our ears are continually open to what God speaks and uh, the things of God that are in existence in the world around us. So we have to be mindful of those things. We do not live just simply in a natural existence. We also exist in a spiritual plane. And what we will find at the end of the age is that all of the things that we can touch and feel through our senses, all of those things are actually types and foreshadows of what already exists in the spiritual realm. And what Paul is sharing in Ephesians and in other places is that, that there is clearly this uh, cataclysmic battle between what is good and what is evil, the forces of Satan and the glorious righteousness of God. He also shares with us in this passage that those who are, there, there is no neutral place. Uh, there is no Sweden in the spiritual realm. That there is either those who are in the kingdom of heaven or those who are in the kingdom of darkness. And there are not those who are just sitting in darkness, just sort of kind of complacently not really doing anything. They're not that bad. What the Scripture actually continues to point out to us is that even in the kingdom of darkness, those who are not in Christ are actually working on behalf of darkness. Well, that's a pretty strong statement because I can tell you I know some pretty nice and kind people who don't know Jesus. I know some people right now who do not know Jesus, who are not in relationship with him, that if I had a need, whether it was need for my family or uh, a need for food, a need for financial help, that in an instant they would help me. So it's not a matter of someone's morality or someone's compassion. 
But what Scripture indicates to us is that there are those who are not in relationship with Christ and by their refusal of Jesus are actually advancing the kingdom of darkness. And so one of the things as believers that is a wonderful opportunity that you and I have is to share the gospel with someone, not simply to rescue that person from what is coming down the road, which is eternal damnation, but actually to see that person come from the army of darkness into the army of light. To see them removed out of Satan's dominion, removed out of Satan's control and Satan's power, and placed under the dominion of our Lord, and actively working for the Lord's kingdom. Paul says that before Christ, we are all under that same penalty of spiritual death. We talked about that some last week. Spiritual death essentially means that you are not in fellowship with God, that there is no fellowship at all with the Lord. The Scriptures do not see death of the physical body as we normally think about death of the physical body. Physical death often in Scripture is referred to as sleep. But spiritual death is always referred to as death. The writers see a difference, obviously, between regular sleep and what we would commonly think of as death but they're trying to point out a distinction that the death of the physical body is not the end. Yesterday we had a funeral here. We celebrated the homegoing of Sister Autumn Nims' mother. She loved the Lord. There was testimony of God's grace at work in her. And so we believe by the testimony of Scripture, that when her physical body died, that wasn't the end for her. That she's actually in the presence of the Lord. Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So the body died, but the Spirit lives on before Jesus, worshiping and exalting Him. True death, the, the spiritual death, being dead in our trespasses and sin, is that actual separation from God. And again, it's not simply separation, but it's actively working against God in the army of the prince of the power of the air. Whenever we ask the question, you know, often you hear, you hear that question, what, how can God in his righteousness sentenced someone who's never heard about Jesus, that proverbial person in the jungle somewhere who has never heard. Because we contemplate that guy as being neutral in the battle. You know, he's not really good and he's not really bad. He just doesn't know. And that's not the picture that the Bible paints. The picture that the Bible paints is even that guy who doesn't know is actively working for the prince of the power of the air. Now, the beauty of that is, is that God, for everyone in human history, has given light before them. 
And they have a choice to walk in that light or to refuse that light. So it may not immediately be the revelation that Jesus is Lord, but it's some type of light that that person who hasn't heard yet has to walk in. And I've heard testimony after testimony after testimony. Those of you who have been on the mission field, you've heard these testimonies before about even the Lord Jesus Christ appearing to people and telling them that they need to go to this place in order to hear someone preach the gospel to them that they might be saved. God works in all kinds of ways to reveal himself. But there is no one who is neutral, if you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord, you're not a neutral party. You can do good deeds. You can help people. You can be kind. You can be gracious. You can be loving. You can be all of those things. But if you do not know Jesus, you are not in Christ. You're not a neutral party just kind of sitting back and waiting for whatever's going to happen or whatever time you're going to choose to follow or not follow. You're not a neutral party. If you're not in Christ, you're actively working for the prince and the power of the air. Yes, we should say amen, because that's the truth. So Paul's speaking to the Ephesians. He's saying, you were warriors for Satan, but now you've come under the dominion of Christ. And you should be growing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And for those in Christ, God's glorious riches have been kindly given by the Lord. When you read verses 1 through 10, you just, I mean, again, in Ephesians, Paul cannot contain himself. It's like the language does not uh, is not able to express what he's feeling on the inside about the grace of Jesus. It just sort of keeps overflowing, and he tries to find the words to say about the grace and mercy and power and glory of Jesus at work in him. These riches that Paul talks about are found in Christ and are free to all who by faith believe in him. And as he speaks to us in verses 1 through 10, one of the first things that I notice about this passage is that all of us at one point were dead in our trespasses and sin. Again, what this means is that we were spiritually dead, the worst type of death. Jesus affirms this in Matthew 10 and 28 when he says, don't be afraid of those who kill the body. Who are we most often afraid of? We'll arm our houses. We'll put alarms on our stuff. We'll stock our closets with ammunition and whatever else that we want. We think about if an intruder comes in because they could harm the physical body. And Jesus says, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body but can't do what? They cannot kill the soul. Rather, Jesus says, be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. So one thing we have to know, this gives us some theology here about what's going on in hell because Jesus says body and soul will be in hell. So it's not just simply some spiritual state. Hell is not a spiritual state, but it is actual physical people that will be in hell with an actual body in eternal torment. But Jesus emphasizes the need to not so much be concerned about the body, but be concerned about the spiritual existence. 
and His sovereignty, God has chosen. And I prayed about this and wondered about this. God, why have you closed our eyes in some ways to the spiritual world around us? Why do we not clearly see with our spiritual eyes the warring angels? Why don't we see the warring factions? Why don't we see the demonic thing? Just with our natural eyes, why do we not see these things? And I can tell you, I don't claim to have a super great answer for that. But what I do know is that you and I don't have to have faith for what we can naturally see. See, I can look around and I see you here in church this morning, and this afternoon when someone says, who was in church this morning, I can say, well, I saw so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so because I see you with my natural eyes. I see you existing right here. I see you sitting right here. I don't have to have faith that you were here. I know you were here. It's a truth that you were here. But if I have to build my faith, if God wants me to build my faith, then I have to trust in the power of God that there are actually things going on that I don't see. Faith building my faith. By not seeing everything, it actually builds my faith in the Word of God. When I see the power of God break in, when I see God transform lives, when I see people being delivered, when I see the power of God at work, my faith grows in the things that I can't see. My faith grows in the power of God at work, and I pray for that power of God to be at work in you and me. Several years ago, my wife and I were living in Tennessee, and actually one of the ladies that my wife went to school with, she was married. Uh, Her husband was a police officer down in uh, Chattanooga. We knew actually uh, we had fellowship with uh, her parents. Her dad uh, was a minister of the gospel. They were very active in uh, ministry. Uh, The young lady became uh, pregnant, had uh, the baby. One morning, her and her husband were sitting around uh, the table having breakfast, and all of a sudden, she goes face down on the table. And a blood clot, am I right? A blood clot had gone to her heart. And so as a police officer, the the, the nature of his training begins to kind of move, and the EMTs are caught, and she's laid out on the floor, and she's not breathing. And they're trying to do all the work to get his wife to begin breathing, and it's not happening. It's not happening. And so police officer mode has to take a back seat to what's going on in the spiritual realm. And the young man with his wife laying on the floor, not breathing, takes his Bible, and he lays upon her, and he says, in the name of Jesus, live! And she begins to breathe. That's not a testimony that I'm making up or pulling out of thin air. It is the power of God at work. I've heard her testify of the power of God at work in her. Something shaking in the spiritual realm that breaks in in the natural realm. It happens. It happens. Testimonies, things that happen in the spiritual realm build our faith. They help us to see that there are other things. Yes, there is the power of God to deliver. 
You do not have to remain in your trespasses and sin. You don't have to remain in your unhealthy addictions. You don't have to remain in unhealthy places. The Lord Jesus Christ is able to deliver. There's testimonies in this church of God's delivering power. And it doesn't happen by self-help and group thing and reading a certain book or something else. It happens by the power of God at work. Yes, sometimes it takes hard work. Yes, sometimes it takes bringing other people along. Yes, sometimes it's wisdom from other people. But there is a moment where God's Spirit breaks in and what the hunger was for in the past is no longer the hunger anymore. So for the unbeliever, they're in a state of what I would say is active death, dead and working. It's kind of eerie, isn't it? Someone being dead but still being active. Under the dominion of the prince of the power of the air, Paul says that spirit is working and the sons of disobedience. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30, Jesus tells a parable, and he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So notice the sequence. When the grain had sprouted, and when it produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So there was a season of growing together. Before the crop was produced, there was a season of the tares and the wheat sort of coming up together. So the servants of the owner came to him and said, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us to go then and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let them both continue to grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. So what Jesus is saying is there's going to be a time where tares and wheat are growing together, and we're going to let that continue until the time of harvest. And at the time of harvest, there's going to be this separation. There's going to be a clarity between the wheat and the weeds. There's going to be a real understanding of what is weed and producing crop and is fit for food, and what is a weed which is just fit to be thrown out and burned. There's going to come a time where it's going to grow, and then there's going to be clarity. There will be a time when the sons of God and the sons of disobedience will grow together, and there's going to come a time when the two will be separated. There's a beginning distinction because the workers came in, and they say, yeah, there's a difference here. There's weeds growing in the field. There's wheat growing in the field. There is a difference, but the ruler says, wait, wait, wait until harvest, and then I'm going to begin to separate. Okay, so what's the point? What point are you trying to make, Robert? That might be what you're asking yourself. The point that I'm trying to make is, I believe we're at the season where the harvest is beginning. 
okay? So I believe that we're at the season where the harvest is beginning, and what we're seeing in our culture and in our world is more clarity between wheat and tares. More clarity between what is producing fruit and what is just sucking up resources, using resources that were intended for the kingdom. And so God's beginning to separate. And so what you're going to see is more of a divide, more of a divide. You're going to see more uh, distinction between these two. And are we not seeing it already? At some point, we're going to do a class on what we see in our culture and how that impacts us and what the Word speaks to us about that. You cannot get along with the world and just assume that it's okay for me to kind of be wheat hidden among the weeds. You know, I'm a wheat for Jesus, and I'm just going to stay hidden back here and kind of keep quiet so the weeds don't get mad and not say anything. That time is gone. That time is gone. There's more of a distinction. God is shining a light to see what is a weed and what is wheat. If you're truly under the dominion of Christ, the time is here or it's going to cost you. Some of you will lose dear friends because you stand upon God's word. Some of you will lose your jobs because you stand upon God's word. Some of you will lose income and power and prestige because you stand upon God's word. And this is because you are not under the dominion of darkness, but you have been made alive in Christ. That's what verses 4 through 9 tell us. But God, say but God, but God, despite being under the dominion of darkness, but God made us alive together with Christ, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, meaning that God's love is active and not merely in the abstract. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he has made us alive together with Christ. Our spirit man has been resurrected to new life. It confirms the work of Christ in us. This is why Paul can exclaim in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 55, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Because when we stand at the graveside of someone who has departed in Christ, death has no victory. Death has no sting. And he says, because you are alive in Christ, you have been appointed to good works for the kingdom. We are his workmanship. Our newness of life is a direct result of Christ's work in us. And that work in us has appointed us to good works. So again, there's not the understanding of the believer just sort of sitting back saying, I'm just going to ride along with Jesus. And I'm just here I just come to church on Sunday and go home, and that is what I'm going to do. There's no sense of that when you're in Christ. When you come into Christ, there are works that have been prepared beforehand. Just as the sons of disobedience 
have the spirit of the prince of the air working in them and directing their action. Now that you are in Christ, the spirit of God is directing you to good works for his glory. And those good works have been prepared beforehand. In eternity past, God has prepared for you good works to do for His glory. Think of it like this. If I am laying down, I don't know how much you can see, but essentially all I'm doing here is laying down two lines. This is what God and His glorious grace has done for you. He has prepared, if you are in Christ, He has prepared good works for you. And essentially, these good works are rails for you to exist on. Imagine going down to uh, one of the theme parks down near Virginia Beach. And they lock you in the car of one of these rides that's supposed to go really fast. And you're about to be launched out. And as you're launched out in your car, the rail ends. You're, you're about to be pushed out at a high rate of speed, but there's no rail ahead of you. How many of us are signing up for that ride? I'm not. But God in His grace, in eternity past, the Scripture tells us, in His sovereignty, when He was thinking about separating the dry land from the sea, when He was thinking about placing the moon in its orbit, and when He was thinking about the sun shining, when He was creating the fish of the sea, when He began the birds fluttering, He had prepared good works ahead of time for you. He had prepared a rail for you to exist upon in His sovereignty that when you come into Christ, you are on this rail and these good works are prepared ahead of time for you to walk in is what the Apostle Paul is telling us. So when we name Jesus as our Savior, Jesus says, I have a whole lot of good works for you to do. Now what good is it for me to sit buckled in the seat waiting along and just sitting here? There are good works ahead of you to do for the glory of Jesus. And I will tell you this as well. It is not the church's responsibility to enact a program for everyone in the church to participate in. Some of you need to be out evangelizing on your own. Some of you need to be out preaching on your own because that's what God has put in you. God has given it to you. You need to feel the freedom and the power to be able to do that because that's a good work that's been prepared ahead of you. That's something that God has said, this is what I want you to do and how I want you to walk. And the beauty of that is when you're on the rails that God has created for you, there might be twists and turns of life, but God in His gracious sovereignty has already, before the foundation of the world, 
created the rails for you. What a beautiful picture of God's grace and glory and what freedom you have to walk in the works which God has ordained ahead of time for you. Beautiful, gracious, wonderful works of God. He created these works that you and I would walk in them. Now, as a final illustration of this point, it's really hard to oh my bad, to, <laughs> to walk in the grace and peace of Jesus when you are weighed down. When you're carrying weights, and you continue to carry these weights, and that's exactly what Satan wants you to do. Now picture yourself. You're the general in the army. You're fighting against another army. Okay, you can't, you can't kill the people on the other side. What are you going to try to do? You're going to try to keep them from fighting. And so I can't, I can't fight with these weights. It's really difficult for me to fight, but I just keep carrying them. This is my burden that I'm going to bear. And I'm just going to have to walk through it. I, I can't even do the good works that God has put because I'm bearing these heavy weights. You need to hear me this morning. That there are some things that you're bearing today that God doesn't want you to bear. God wants you to release and give to him. And that's a psychological thing sometimes that has to be moved upon by the power of the Spirit. God's Spirit has to release you in your mind to give it to Jesus and to walk from it. Because as long as you're trying to be burdened, as long as you're trying to carry these weights, you will never fulfill all that God has for you. There's something else that happens. You know, sometimes I've seen people be delivered, and sometimes, sometimes the weight gets lightened. Sometimes God comes along, and in His grace and mercy, He will lighten the weight. And why He does that is he says, I'm going to give you the grace to know that I'm carrying some things. But there are some things, Jesus didn't heal everybody. Did you all know that? Not everybody got healed. There are some times in our life where there are certain burdens that God calls us to bear. And he does exactly what Isaiah 61, 3 does. He takes the burden, and then he helps to build something greater. He gives you strength. Don't criticize my form. He gives you strength, and that strength is doing something. God's helping you to learn to bear the burden. He's helping you to learn that he's strengthening those faith muscles in your arm. And there might be twists and turns. There might be ways in which things happen you don't quite understand, but God is building faith in you. 
God is building faith. I'm not talking about if you're in immorality, there's immoral things, you need to be delivered from it. That's not a burden God wants you to bear. That's not a burden God wants you to bear. If you're living in immorality, that's not something God wants you to bear. But sometimes there's struggles in our family that we can do nothing about. Sometimes there's struggles in our bodies that we can't do anything about. Sometimes there's struggles with other people and our work and other things that we can't do anything about. And sometimes that's just God saying, hey, I'm building some muscle here. But God also understands some, un- some ideas about what it means if we're trying to build muscle. What does it mean if we're trying to build muscle if my whole day I'm doing this? At some point I'm going to get fatigued. Somebody who works out a lot is going to say, don't do this every single day. You don't exercise your biceps or your legs or your chest muscles or whatever every single day. You've got to do what? You've got to get rest sometime. Because there has to be healing in what has happened. So what our grace of the Lord Jesus Christ shows us, even through our physical body, is that there are times where God is just saying, hey, I'm building faith in you. Walk through this. Continue to be faithful. Continue to follow me. Walk through this. Live for me. Just keep lifting. And you have the promise that as God is building faith in you, that there will come that day of rest. There will come that day where the blood and everything else comes in and it begins to heal what has been broken. It begins to heal what has come apart. It begins to heal what God has been stretching. And what you will see is that Isaiah 61 passage that speaks to us very clearly about Jesus' plan and Jesus' purpose. He says, I'm going to grant to those who mourn in Zion a garland instead of ashes. I'm going to give them the oil of gladness instead of mourning. I'm going to give them the mantle of praise instead of fainting so that they will be called the oaks of righteousness. What the enemy has brought in your life and intended for evil, God is saying, I'm going to give you the strength for a little while. I'm going to give you the strength to continue to lift. And then you have promise of that day of rest. He promises us the day of rest. What you're going through today will not last forever. It will not last forever. There is a day of rest coming. Let's stand together and let's pray for God's grace to be at work in us, to encourage us this morning, to call us to faithfulness, and some of you this morning, though I know there's some of you here that you feel the burden of what's going on in your life. You feel the burden of what is happening. And you're saying, I'm just standing there holding the weights because I can't lift them. God wants to give you a reprieve. And this is the glory and beauty of God's church. I'm not a weightlifter. My brother Greg has been a weightlifter. When I'm tired, I can count on this brother. Come with me, Greg. I can count on this brother to help me lift this weight. And you know what? He's not just going to help me lift the weight because he's experienced weightlifter. He's going to teach me how to do it properly so I don't hurt myself. But what did we talk about last week? What is often what the enemy calls us to do? Sit all over here. I'm trying to get through it, Jesus. 
I'm just going to get through it, Jesus, all by myself. The early church, our picture of what God intended on the day of Pentecost, our picture of what God shows us the church should be is a place that was continually in community with one another, a place that was continually in relationship with one another. Because when my brother sees me struggling, when he sees me day after day, when I'm talking with him about what's going on in my life, when, when there's things, you know, he, he's going to be sensitive when something's not right. But when I'm sitting outside by myself and I'm just keeping it all in and I'm not letting the body of Christ help me or walk with me or encourage me, nobody knows. Nobody knows. And that's where Satan wants you where nobody knows your struggle and he makes you feel like you're the only one. But this church... This place that God has called us to be in fellowship. You look around the room again. You're here because God sovereignly called you here this morning. This is a place that God has called you to, to be in relationship with the people in this room. And we're in a season of time where the separation from the wheat and tares is becoming clearer and clearer. And some of us are going to have to be burden bearers because a lot of us are going to have burdens that need to be borne. And we have to get serious about what God has designed for his church and for his people. This is why we must pray together. One, we must pray for those of us in this fellowship who you feel like you're bearing that burden alone. You need help. You need help this morning. You need help. Don't delay. Find help. Someone will meet you and pray with you. But we also have to pray that there is such love and unity in this place that there would be no hindrance to anyone opening up about the journey that they're walking through. No hindrance. We are in such unity and our love for people is such that we want to see them walk in wholeness and in peace with God. If you need prayer this morning, I'm going to invite you to come as we worship. I invite you to come to pray for our fellowship, pray for this church, pray for Riverstone Church, that we would be that place. That would be a place of hope and healing for broken people. That we would see with spiritual eyes what's going on. We'd be mindful of people. Remember, every one of us have been on the other side. Every one of us have been actively working for darkness. There's no one who can kind of button it up and say, I'm so good. The scripture is clear. You feel that way. Humble yourself right now and pray and ask God for forgiveness. You look around the room and you think, oh, I'm not that bad. Get in the place and the posture of forgiveness because it's sin. But if you're in Christ this morning and you're bearing the burden, you're lifting and you're saying, I can't, I can't get it up. I need some help. You need people to help you. Don't be off by yourself. Don't be off alone. And pray that this place, this church, this place will be a place of healing. As we worship, I'm inviting you to come. Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Mm -hmm.